my eight-year-old, as we walked out the door this evening, said, Daddy, may God bless you as you share this evening. And then a young man here, I think it's Brian's son, said, you know, may the Lord bless you as you share this evening. I tell you, there's something about young men that can really encourage gray-haired men. Children that walk with God. I was praying as we started on the road down here this evening. I felt like I needed, I wanted a scripture to start with. And my wife was telling me some about her day and the laundry that took all day. And uh, some of you understand that we have a laundry chute in our house. When I was growing up, we kicked the laundry down the hall and down the stairs and down the next set of stairs and down to the wash machine. And sometimes we carried it and sometimes we kicked it. We got it down there. But when I built my house, I decided, all right, we're going to take a shortcut with this. I'm just moving this stuff down several flights of stairs. So I put a hole under the sink straight down into the laundry room from upstairs so that the children don't have to move it so far. But there's been several times when I've opened that laundry door and the clothes were jammed to the top. And this is after not too many days. I mean, this thing is full from top to bottom. And so I realize as I preach here this evening, there's, there's responsibilities and weights that we sense. And some of you mothers are probably saying, I'm doing everything I can to keep up. I can't handle one more thing. I want you to take something with you as we go through these services. The Son of God, the Chief Shepherd, the one who has paid for the salvation of your souls. Listen to what Isaiah says about him and those who have young. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Shall gently lead those that are with young. I remember some of the guilt my wife felt when we had a young family. And there were days when she did not get time with God like she should have. And there were days when she cried. I just want you to know, parents, before we start preaching here tonight, that the chief shepherd deals gently with those that have young. He does. I remember driving a group of flock of sheep through a high hayfield one time with a bunch of baby lambs. And I was we were pushing them along. And all of a sudden, I realized what was happening. Things just turned into total chaos in the middle. It was tall hay. And a bunch of mothers with their babies. And they started losing their babies in that tall grass. And I realized I had to back off this thing and give them some time to process. Because it was just turned into major chaos. Because they were trying to find their babies. And the babies are trying to find mom. And I was the shepherd. And I just had to back off and take it easy. Until we got through the tall stuff. I do want to tell you for your encouragement. I very rarely kick a trail through our living room anymore. We have eight girls now between somewhere between 10, 12 and 20. And our house gets clean now. I, I, I just very rarely have to kick a trail coming into the living room. And... Uh, We, we're actually at the point now, we, we, as a family, trying to understand how is the right way, who do we minister to, and my wife came across something one day, and we tried to live by that. Our ministry first for our children, we believe, is in the home. And then, if we have extra time as a family, we have sent our older girls out to help in the church, in other homes, with other mothers who are young and struggling. 
And now we've gotten to the point where the one is married and the other daughter decided to teach school this year. And now she's ministering to the community at large. And uh, there's a time for everything. And you may not be able to quite minister in the way our family can, but we got to that point. The day is here now where we can minister to others. So, getting into the message here. Just a few thoughts yet from last evening. Uh, on, on, On spanking. I remember spankings that left me as a child feeling cleansed. I left. Uh, I remember also when my parents did it improperly, and they were angry. Parents don't don't discipline your children in anger. There's something else needs taken care of if you're upset first. Okay. Um, and I remember discipline in our home that brought almost a holy hush in the house. It doesn't happen real often, but when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that there must have been a spirit that left when we chastened our children. I think there must have been a spirit, some kind of spirit of discontent. And when it left, it was just like a holy hush came into our house. And proper discipline will do that. Okay. Decibel level in the home. Set, establish the decibel level that you want your home to operate in and then live with that. Establish a decibel level. And what I mean by that was, is um, <clears throat> there are children who will listen when you look at them with your eyes. And there are children who won't listen until... The decibel level has got to almost a screech. And they know that that's where mom and dad are finally serious. We'll just back the decibel level down to a comfortable level and live with that. And discipline for that level. Um, Mothers, I know you can be more excitable than men sometimes. But... Or this is for the girls, anybody in the home. When an egg drops and breaks on the floor, um, don't give this screech that just about, uh, what's the right word, makes your blood run cold. Don't give this scream um, that makes your blood run cold. And everybody comes running and you think at least somebody went through the meat grinder. Here's just an egg on the floor. Set the decibel level in the home that you want to operate and then live with that. Do we always do that? No. Is that our goal? Yes. 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 I think about a cop standing along the interstate and people are just speeding by. And he's saying, "If you, you know, it just breaks my heart. How you people won't listen to me. You're just speeding by. It just breaks my heart. Wouldn't you just listen? No, he just hands out a fine. And next time you see him, you're a lot more cautious. Set the decibel level in your home at something comfortable and live with it. Be careful of constant criticism. By filling their lives with a constant litany of no's and don'ts, we give them a sense of never being able to please. Be cautious of that. My wife remembers as a child thinking, don't tell me what not to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Don't always just tell me what not to do. Of course, there's going to be time for that. But be careful about just always no, 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 until they feel like I never can do anything right. Here's a great principle. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? Okay, so we've got, um, ran across a story of a woman 
who was, I think it was a lady visiting in another home, and she was visiting its mother in Idaho out there somewhere by the Snake River, I believe it was. Um, probably the reason this story stuck out to me is that we had a son living in Idaho for a while, working out there. And uh, she was watching this mother train her children, and the children <clears throat> wanted to go out and play by the river. Dangerous river. There's fast rivers in Idaho. And uh, I don't know what the Snake River's like, but they, I do know there's fast rivers out there. And this, this mother, uh, this lady's listening, watching how this mother trains her children. The mother says, you know, children, I've got an idea today. How about we take spoons and go out in the yard and build, build, you know, the children want to go to the river. Instead of saying, just saying no all the time, she said, why don't we get spoons and go out in the yard and build our own river? And uh, this individual is visiting, watched them children play for hours and hours and hours with their spoons. And they dug ditches and dikes and, and all the, they had all the lingo going that's related to irrigation country. Lingo that we wouldn't understand that much. But the children were out there doing all their irrigation projects and, and building their dams and all that. And uh, she was just observing how this family operated. The next day it was cold and she's thinking, well, what's mom going to do? And mom steps in and says, you know, I have an idea, children. The children want to go out and start the dike project again. And she said, how about we just, uh, how about we bring some sand into the house and set it up and, and uh, put some toothpicks and we can build our own garden, build trees and use can. And she got the children started. And what, she, what was she doing? She was giving them profitable constructive behavioral things to do that got them started on something instead of just saying don't all the time. Um, I thought I'd share some thoughts out of this book here. I, I found it interesting. I think this book's about 100 years old. Studies in character building. But it one of the interesting things I think is principles work over the years, over the centuries. The constant criticism of the child in such remarks says, don't sit so awkwardly, don't be so boisterous, don't talk so much, don't wiggle about, don't come in here with those dirty shoes on. Develops unduly the critical elements in his own character, and instead of being charitably inclined toward his fellows, he becomes exceedingly critical of their actions, notices every little thing in their behavior which is not up to the standard you have set for him, and very likely calls your attention to it. This tendency is a very common one among children. Mothers and teachers are greatly annoyed by it, yet but few stop to trace its origin back to their own treatment of the child. It is natural for the mother in her love and anxiety for her child to desire him to approach as nearly as possible her ideal standard. And when she sees some exposition of, exhibition of natural and inherited tendencies which is not in accord with her ideal, it is so easy for her to vent her own feelings of disapproval and a don't do that, that a consideration of the after effects upon the child seldom enters her mind. This training of young lives is a most solemn business. So much depends upon the mother, upon her forethought, upon her control of her own tongue and temper, upon the sacrifice of her love of ease and other selfish tendencies that one is almost appalled at the thought of it. One thing we should earnestly strive for is to make our prohibitions the very few as possible. May we not question whether we are not frequently too exacting with children, too much given to fault-finding, were it not that the business of play is so engrossing to them and life so fascinating a matter on the whole, were it not for these qualifying circumstances, we should harass many of them, harass many of them into dark cynicism and misanthropy at a very early age. I marvel at the scrupulous exactness in regard to truth, the fine sense of distinction between right and wrong, which we require of an unfledged human being. If we were one half as punctilious, and hypocritical in our judgment of ourselves, we should be found guilty in short order and sentenced to hard labor in a vast number of accounts. There are many comparatively small faults in children which is, it is wise not to see at all. They are mere temporary failings, tiny drops which will evaporate if quickly left in the sunshine, but which, if opposed, will gather strength for a formidable current. If we overlook the small transgressions and quietly supply another vent for troublesome activity, 
There would be less clashing of wills, less raising of an evil spirit, which gains wonderful strength while in action. Now, having said that, <laughs> uh, I share that because I've seen that happen in a few homes, but not very often, I would say. I think I've seen it maybe in our circles. We might see not as much of that. I'm not sure, but I would say. But I have seen it happen, and I felt bad for the children. I felt like they don't have a chance. I mean, it's like they can never do anything right. I mean, I would feel like rebelling if it was me, and I'm, I think I'm mature, you know. Um, indulgence. <clears throat> we live in a microwave culture. We live in a microwave culture. Delayed gratifications. I'm not sure if I have this all correct, but I remember there was a study done. And it was something like this. If they offered a group of children two marshmallows, and they told them, if you eat, you can eat both marshmallows right now if you want. Or you can save one till tomorrow. And if you save one till tomorrow, we'll give you a second one. And that day you can decide what you do. The children who had the self-control to think about what the future was like were the ones who did way better in life. And as I think about God's laws for mankind, I realize that God has promised blessing in the future, in a day to come. When you look at eternity... And our short little 70 years tacked on the front of that. For those who choose God's way, God is looking to bless His children. But He's looking for us to practice what? Fruit of the Spirit. Somebody tell me. Well, temperance. I was thinking of self-control, but they both fit right in there. He's looking for us to practice self-control. It is true that most of the Ten Commandments were thou shalt not. It is also true that we obey the first commandment that we would fulfill the rest. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul, strength and mind. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. No three-year-old is going to establish self-control on their own. No three-year-old is going to practice self-control. Okay, so going through church one day, I see uh, children going through without their mom and dad. And this little guy goes through. We try to teach our children that you take hot stuff and then you may have some dessert also. Well, this little guy didn't have mom and dad along, so he just skipped all the hot stuff and went right to the dessert. And uh, I don't, I hope it wasn't meddlesome, but I, I got his father and mother. I said, you might want to take note there. Um, th- nothing hot ended up on that plate. It was just all cookies. And uh, But, you know, without mom and dad there and the, Conditioning and training, um, it's not going to happen unless you help them with some decisions. Growing up with our children, um, I was very zealous as a young father. And there's some things that I overdid. I actually regret some things. We had a little green book and we were going to be very disciplined with these first little guys. And... uh, I've apologized to my older children a couple times. Um, I don't follow the little green book anymore. But I do follow the Word of God the best I can. (laughs) One day I was thinking about this whole thing with too many toys and things. We had our our children, right? They were like the first grandchildren. And to top it off, there's aunts and all those people and birthdays, and time goes by, 
And there are more toys in that toy box and trinkets and junk. And I think about Laura Wilders out in the West, and she gets this corn husk doll, and she is thrilled to the core of her being with this little corn husk doll. And I see all this stuff in my toy chest. And one day I told my children, this was when they were young, a couple of them, the older ones were young. I grabbed a garbage bag, and I said, okay, guys, here's the toys. I dumped them all out. And I said, you guys get what you want, and I'm going to load this garbage bag as fast as I can. And we get done, you get whatever you guys get, you can have. And whatever I get, it goes out to the burn pile. And that's what we did. <laughs> and uh, um, just, I was just trying to declutter. I, when I think about Laura Ingalls out in the west, out in the prairie, out in the dirt house, and... You know what? Children that have less sometimes have a much richer, richer appreciation for the things they do have. And I was, I was just concerned about that. How do I, how do I create a level of appreciation in my children? You know, too much stuff. One of the last servant body meetings we had. <clears throat> Um, one of the servants was concerned about at meal times. He's becoming alarmed with how many children don't eat all their food. And uh, um, you, know, you see the children bringing their food to mom and dad, and they do that to us too. And uh, he just feels that one of the next catch-up meetings that we do home, what's the proper name for it? One of the next men's meetings that we do a little bit of our of, of housekeeping and remind the parents that um, the children need to be taking less food if they're not eating at all. If it's getting wasted and dumped in the waste can, there's something wasteful about that. And I know how it happens easily. And once again, I, it's better to put less food on. And if they want to go back, they can go back and get more. Um, but we live in a culture where food is so plentiful and we don't, it creeps up on us. We don't even think about it until one day some brother says, Wait, what's going on here? And the rest is like, Whew, you're right. I didn't think about this either. This is something we need to be looking at. I'm just looking at a few things how our culture, where we can become acclimated to plenty and it can be to our detriment one of the things we have asked parents to do is keep their younger children with the parents while they eat until they're let's say eight years old or something just so that there's um we were running into issues with little guys they grab their plates and run outside and out in the back corner and uh, food would be thrown around and plates left all over the parking lot and and uh, so we just decided to bring a little order into the congregation, and, and that's how we did it. And encouraged the children to sit with their family till they're a little older. Looking into the future, one of the men in my office found out I was going to be down here preaching this weekend. He's a pastor in the Pilgrim Church. And he, here's a text he sent me. I do not know what all you're preaching about, but there's a tremendous need in conservative circles for parents to teach their children the importance of moral purity and walk and talk with them in their youth, just in case you need ideas. As I think about immoral issues, I think there's a connection between lack of self-control when we're young, and also when we get old. It's, it's physical appetites. Both of them are. And he is, he is saddened by the amount of counseling he's doing with moral impurity creeping in among the young people. Parents, if you allow social, I don't know where you are as a church here, but if you allow social media 
in your children's lives. They have access to computer or cell phones. If you do not have the ability to track every place they go, then you need to rethink your strategy for raising children. If you do not have the ability to track all their history, you need to rethink. I tell you, this whole thing with the Internet is becoming a plague. It is becoming a plague. Things that young people years ago had to go find somewhere, now it comes to them. And it's not just young people that are getting into trouble. Just recently a father grieved to me, how did, what do you think I did wrong? And this is a man I respected. But he made the statement, I didn't really know, I didn't know him that well, I didn't know, I had a child that left home, I really didn't know all the circumstances, and I don't know that if I gave him a good answer or not, but he made one, the child ran off because of connecting with friends on social media, and those friends stole this child's heart, and that child left home. And I did get hit with the question, I mean, I, where were mom and dad? Where, how did this child have access to social friends on social media that there was nobody discerning what was going on? I, where was mom and dad? And here's the problem. We get busy, and we know we should be checking on things, and things just slip by, but we're busy again tomorrow. And the next thing we know... The devil stole our child's heart. And believe me, I don't think that child walked out of that home one day after its heart left. That child's heart began to leave a while before that. Stuff like that just doesn't happen overnight. Your children's hearts will leave a while before they actually leave. Proverbs. The brother gave us the background of Proverbs, if you remember what he read <clears throat> for attaining wisdom and knowledge, young men, read Proverbs. If you're 10 years old from there, read Proverbs. What's it say? Proverbs 5. Listen to this. My son, attend to my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, that lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold in hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou can not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thy honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. I grew up with a group of young people, young men. And some of them young men do not serve God. And when I think about these, and thou mourn at last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed... And they're getting older. And some of these men are getting gray hair now. These are boys I grew up with. I wonder what they think sometimes at night. My flesh and my body is being consumed. I wonder if they ever think back to their childhood. Here's how it finishes up. How I hated instruction. And my heart despised reproof. And I wonder if they ever stop and think, I don't know. I would think if they would think very much, they would change the course of their life. They don't seem to be changing. But that brings us to back again to why it's important to teach children. That brings us back to that again. There are a few old men who give their hearts to the Lord. There are a lot of children.
our American culture. Oh, let's back up here a little bit. Parents, don't be afraid to talk about moral issues with your children. Don't be afraid to do that. I get calls on the Billboard Evangelism team, and we take calls... And some days, I think 20% of them calls must be questions about the whole gay issue. 20% of them calls seem, and maybe it's not, I I never actually did the math and checked the percentages and all that. But I tell people over and over again, first of all, sexuality was not your idea and it wasn't the wicked idea and it wasn't the devil's idea. Sexuality was God's idea. But, Being that it's God's idea, he also gets established parameters in which it's carried out. And since God established the parameters, we go to the Word of God and let's find out what God has to say about sexuality. And I take them there. We go back to Genesis 1, the very first book in the Bible. And by the way, for those who struggle with the book of the Bible, I tell them that, you know, do you believe in the resurrection? If they do, I say, well, Jesus himself quoted from Genesis. And I'll take him back here. And Jesus himself used the book of Genesis to establish righteousness. He said, from the beginning it was not so. But God created me man and woman. Our American culture, our comfort, our ease of living leads to lukewarmness. How can we avoid that in our homes? I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question. How many of you sitting here are cold spiritually? I'm assuming you're a group of Christians sitting here. So how many of you are cold spiritually? Well, I wouldn't want to say I'm cold. Okay. How many of you are hot? I don't want to. That sounds a little arrogant. I don't want to. I, I, I don't. Okay, I'm not. I don't, that sounds pretty. Okay, so I must be. I'm somewhere in between there. You just put yourself where God hates. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, in my experience, when food is going backwards, there's a problem. Either it tastes bad or your stomach is upset. And when God's spitting it back out, you can be assured that he's either tasting something off or his stomach is upset. Luke seven thirty six to forty seven. <clears throat> One more thought. What are we talking about here? Ease. One of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed her feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor, Jesus said, which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered, I suppose that he whom he forgave us most. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. He turned to the woman, but he speaks to Simon. 
See this woman? See thou this woman? I entered to thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears. And I wiped them with the hairs of her head. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since time I have come in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with oil, ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I've wrestled with this scripture some. Does that mean that our children have to sin a lot to love much? Does that mean that we have to sin a lot to love much? No, I see heads shaking. What does that mean? That means that we need our spiritual eyesight open, that we understand what we've been forgiven from. We need to understand the greatness of what we've been forgiven from. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. No. God never intended for our children to experience the depravity and the brokenness so that they could experience love more. God intended for us to see more so that we can love more. Can we build enough of fences to protect our children's hearts? What do you think? We do need to set some boundaries. We need to set some boundaries. But here's the problem. And I don't have all the answers for this. We'll let Leonard finish this when we get done. Here's the problem. Our children, we can put fences up. And we can... House proof, we can homeschool our children so that they don't have any influence from the school children. It's just us family. But they come prepackaged with Adam in the heart. And here's the great struggle between giving your children freedom. I've seen homeschooled families who have done their best to raise their children and they grow up and get married. And the second that child is out of that home, they go right into sin. Well, the fences were there, but the problem was the child was growing up with Adam in his heart. And you can put fences up, but if you don't get that child's heart, I mean, you have one awesome task on your hand. You're not going to get it done. You need that child's heart. Oh, Lord, help us. Adam comes prepackaged right in the children's hearts. You know, we stand sometimes and we watch our children. And I I want to warn you, parents who still have children under 10. You're about to find out soon how you've been working in the home. I don't want to scare you. But there is a day of reckoning that comes to each one of us. There is a day of reckoning. So I just want to warn you younger families. Um... How can we raise children who will stand alone no matter if every other young person in the youth group washes out? How can we do that? If every young person in the youth group washes out, will my children walk with me? Fathers, actually my father did that. None of my friends that I grew up with are part of the River Brethren Church. In my age group, group of boys, not one single boy, except for my brother, worships with me. My father, I stood different times and looked out at the Mennonite churches, maybe even churches like this, and thought, boy, that looks a lot more, uh, that looks more interesting. But God never left me go. And my father won my heart. And I walked with my father's God. We started a Bible study and began to bring young people into the church, younger than my brother and I. But those young people are the backbone of our church now. 
they are married and raising young families. And our congregation looks like this one here. Children everywhere. What a blessing. What a blessing. Fathers, do you like your family? I mean, do you really like them? Do you like your families? Praise them every chance you get. Not on the color of their hair, but on character. If you see them doing something... But I, do, I, I rejoice in my family I, just because they're my family. Some, many times over the years we'll sit down at the table and I'll just get this certain, sudden burst of father happiness. I said, this is, this is so wonderful. Sitting down with the greatest family in the whole wide world. I can't believe that God gives me this wonderful privilege to sit here with the greatest family. I know you all have the greatest family too. Okay, it's, you, you love your family. And I, the, the wife that God gave me, I just cannot believe that God gave me this lovely woman. Uh, children, do you see your mother? Here is, the, here is the greatest woman in the world. I love my family. <clears throat> oh, Dad. <laughs> but they like it. They like it. Fathers, do you love your family? So here's the question. How do we build toughness? I'm going to rephrase it. Moral vertebrae. How do we build moral vertebrae into our children? Spiritual sons and daughters have the backbone of a saw log. Not necessarily because they are tough. But because they love God. Because they love God. I don't feel very tough sometimes. I didn't feel very tough coming down here to preach to all these strangers that I don't know that well. We need God. So how do we lead our children to salvation? Especially thinking of how to determine the age of accountability. And how do we respond to a very young child that's desiring salvation but seems too young to understand? I hope I don't confuse you with longevity of answer, but I can't really say 12 and give you a solid answer. But here's what I can do. I can give you the tensions and work between those two tensions in to somewhere and others may be able to take us and refine it more than what I can. But I can at least give you some of the tensions. How do you know when a child is too young? How do you know when to lead a child to the Lord? I remember when my oldest son first was beginning to notice that people give the hearts to the Lord. He was sitting in church beside me and a girl over here on this side stood up and she had a covering on her head. And she said, I decided to follow Jesus. I want to give my heart to the Lord. And I saw him sit there and look at her and he scratched down his seat and he looked at her like, what is this? And we got home. He said, Daddy, what's it mean to give your heart to the Lord? Like, take it like, like this. I said, no. Well, so we try to explain what it means to give your heart to the Lord. She, she is starting. She has decided to follow Jesus. She has decided to follow Jesus. So here are some testimonies from people from our congregation. This is one sister. She said, my family put a covering on me when I was young. And I struggled with giving my heart to the Lord because I didn't know how to do it. Because I assumed everybody thought I must be a Christian. And I wanted to make a start for the Lord. And, but mom and dad had put a covering on. And, I'd, and I wanted to... This was her struggle, okay? Now, we all have to get over our struggles. We're all, we all could blame... You name it. I mean, Satan's got a whole pile of reasons why we don't follow God, okay? So this is what she struggled with. Um, at the age of 13, I decided I want to ask for baptism. My father just looked at me and son, I, she said, son, I don't think you're quite ready for that yet. I don't know if my dad made the right decision there or not. I walked away from God after that and spent years without God. We have chosen to go a different path with our children. But one thing I can admire about my father, 
He was not so anxious to get his child into the kingdom of God that he was willing to cross red flags to get him there. I must say I appreciate that. My father was not desperate that he crossed red flags to get there. We had a young man growing up in our congregation who I thought, I made a statement, I don't think that boy's going to turn out. His dad was not a disciplinarian. <clears throat> his mother was a prayer warrior. And uh, his mom told him, son, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, listen. He's like, well, how do I know? She said, you'll know. Okay. He's just bopping through life. And I'm thinking, this boy, <laughs> there's no chance for him. One night, driving a skid loader, 18 years old, he's driving a skid loader. And all of a sudden, the crushing Spirit of God just came down upon him. And he just, oh, this must be a Spirit of God. And he gave his life to Christ. 18? I don't know. Did God not speak to him before? I don't know. He's a fellow pastor in the church now. The boy that I didn't think was going to turn out because his parents, I thought, were his dad. I didn't feel like he was disciplinary enough. <clears throat> so, truce between two tensions. I don't think I can answer one this, this one with age. If I do, I think it would possibly very soon run beyond the Word of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce off a couple things. Number one, it is never too soon to bring our children to Jesus. Okay? The disciples came... The families were bringing their children to Jesus and wanted him to pray for them and bless them. And the disciples said, no, um, we got more important things to do. And Jesus said, let the children come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. It, children are never too young to come to Jesus. Now, their understanding is not going to be, it's going to be immature. Okay? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> So when is the age of accountability? Does anybody have a scriptural? I do know when God held young people accountable in the sense that he struck them with death. The Israelites, when the spies went into the promised land and they came back and they gave a bad report. And God said, okay, I'm going to take everybody, anybody from the age of 20 and up. Your, your carcasses are going to die in the wilderness. I know that that was a definite age of accountability. I can guarantee you that. Would you say a two-year-old is ready to accept the Lord? I would say that's too young. But I would say they sure can come to Jesus and get the blessing. They're, they're accountable to you. They're, let a child be a child. Don't push them to be an adult many years before they're an adult. Okay, the flip side of that, working from the other end again, I've heard parents say, well, and they used to illustrate the Israelites, let the children sow their wild oats. Does anybody here agree with that? I hope not. I hope not. Okay, so we know we're back in, um, All right, let's go to this. What is man's big problem? Anybody know? What is man's big problem? Sin. That's our big problem. Sin is our big problem. <clears throat> what does sin do to relationships? It breaks them. Sin breaks relationships. Sin will break Relationships with God. You can't have a relationship with God if you have sin. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Can you have a relationship with your family if you have sin in your life? It hinders a good family relationship. What is God's answer to man's problem? Repentance. Jesus. Jesus. Is God's answer to man's problem. Um, the word repentance is a good one. 
both Jesus and John the Baptist, the first thing that came out of their mouth when they began to preach was repent. That was the beginning. It seems to me that that is like, I mean, that is the beginning. That's where you start. Um, we get these people calling the phone and they argue with you about repentance. It's like, I don't get that because that's the first thing that Jesus said. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of what? Well, you got a problem. You're a sinner. Um, <clears throat> So, I go into the prison. How many of you guys are Christians? Hands go up. When do you become a Christian? Sitting in Sunday school one time. Okay, well, what are y'all doing in here? Um, well, okay, here's what happened. <clears throat> Remember this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way to God. Simple. Only one way. This man who went to Sunday school, his life intersect right here at this little point. And he raised his hand. He said, I, I give my life to Jesus Christ. And then you got those who go to church. And they end up there on the trail once a week. But the rest of their life has nothing to do with the gospel. Are you satisfied with this or this? Um, what does it mean to be born again by the Spirit of God? I, I, I've wrestled with this question some. I've, I've been in the circles with those who come from, well, we just hope. And so the reaction to that is, you preach born again by the Spirit of God that, that, that day when you gave your life to Christ. That is great and wonderful. And I think we all need a peg that we can drive in and say, this is when I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But if you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that thing only intersects but does not conform to the life of Jesus Christ where the Spirit of God is working on a regular basis, bringing you back into the will and the way of God, then are you born again? I've seen, I've seen families make strong statements about this. You know, you gotta be born again. I agree with that. But born again, is it born again a one-time thing or does it, does it keep going? Does the Spirit of God keep working and changing and bring us into the image of Jesus? If you walked with God two weeks ago, does that mean you don't walk with, you got enough of brownie points, you get off the trail today? I had one of my greatest experiences in witnessing some years ago when I... Some of you have heard this story. <laughs> I hope it don't bore you here. But One of my greatest experiences of witnessing was one night when I said to God, God, can I just have tonight off? I'm t- I, can I, I, I've been a Christian, but tonight I am mad and I would like the night off. Can you let me off? And God was silent. And after a bit I said, you know, God, I really do want to follow your trail. It's hard right now. What happened? I was driving down the road. I was, I like to farm some. My brother, my brother farms, and once a year or so, I'll jump on a tractor just for the fun of it. And I'm driving down the road with this tractor, and a group of young people come along, and one of them just takes an egg and whips it right in the windshield of my tractor. And I was mad. These young people nowadays, there's two or three hundred of them. It's it's color day uh, out in Chambersburg. They have color day. The high school is color day, and, and it's basically all the young people go get a whole bunch of eggs, and they just go around the community and throw eggs and carry on. And so they threw this egg at my windshield, and I'm and, and uh, I'm seething, uh, driving to the field, and I put the disc down. I'm thinking about these young people, and and dark thoughts are going through my mind. One of them was, I just need to go get the rifle and go. Stop these young people when, I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> Stop these young people and I'm going to have a word with them. I actually did that when I was unconverted one time. I was mad at somebody. I took a gun and I went and visited them, you know. And uh, the Spirit of God began to speak. I said, Lord, I want to walk with your Spirit. I really do. 
I know this is hard, but you're calling me to forgive. I thought, well, what could I do to bless these young people? And I went home. I had put, I had gotten some testimonies of some young people together before that on tape. They shared their testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. So that was my reason I put together because I believe testimony is powerful. So I'd put young people's testimonies on tape of how they came to Jesus Christ. And I went back there and I found this group of young people. They were scattered over about a half a mile back interstate and back country roads. And, um, I started walking down through, and they, most of them knew who I was. They were scared. And so I would walk up to the car, and I'd say, Hey, guys, how you doing? I, you met me early in the evening here. And I just, um, you guys were passing stuff out earlier, and I'm passing stuff out now. I just wondering if you'd take, take a CD, tape from me. And I gave it to them. And uh, I still remember the one car load. I just explained to them what I was doing. I gave them a tape. And the next one says, I want one. And there's hands reaching from the back. Give me one. Give me one. I passed out a hundred tapes that evening. I'm coming down the road, walking, meeting young people as I went. Up ahead, I see the guy who threw the egg. He's like, yeah. I can see him pumping his fist. He's all excited. He's going to get to meet me. And I went down there and I met him and... I said, here, I got a CD. Nah, 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 nah. Well, I said, really, this is only fair. You gave me something earlier. It wouldn't it be fair if you take something. You know, I, we exchange here a little bit. So he ended up taking one. The girl with him was about falling through the floor. She was a local builder supply girl who we had invited to some of our youth meetings. And... Uh, She's caught with this guy, and he's the guy she's hanging out with. And I can see she's not enjoying things very much. And I gave her one. And next time we went to the store, she was her and her mom were very quick to inform us that they listened to this tape. <laughs> I have a question for you. If I wouldn't have walked with God that night, it was the best witnessing opportunity of my whole life just about. And I think, oh God, I want to walk with your spirit all the time. When I take my own way and harden my heart and try to figure out how to solve the world's problems with, with my own ideas, it doesn't work. But when I take God's way, blessing and peace comes from that. It, it's just, <clears throat> I think about those young people. hundred tapes of testimony. And gave it to these young people. And they, I imagine some of them didn't listen to them, but I bet a lot did. This whole born again thing. I had a family very strongly tell me, you know, they 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 were now born again. And I looked at their born again, and I thought, really? Is this what born again means? And uh, sometime later, I get something from their one of the sons explaining his new freedom in Christ, the liberty that they have in Christ, and they're now taking their head coverings off. And I thought, wow, is this, is this what born again is? I mean, they, they were pretty sure they had the born-again experience. Children getting into sensual music, walking in the ways of the world, experiencing the freedom that is in Christ. Really? You know, we deal in our day with confusing spirits. And it makes me quail. I'm going to read this. This guy here is named Bell. So the title was No No Hell Bell Comes Out in Support of Homosexuality. Tells Narrow Christians to Repent. Rob Bell, author of best-selling and controversial book, Love Wins, which challenges the Christian teaching of hell, came out in support of homosexual marriage on Sunday and called Narrow Christians to Repentance. Now, any of you hearing something here? 
Narrow. What did Jesus say about narrow and wide? Listen. He's like setting his own guillotine. During a question and answer period, Bell was asked about his beliefs regarding same-gender marriage. I am for marriage. I am for fidelity. I am for love. Whether it's a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, a man and a man, he said, I think the ship has sailed and I think the church needs... I think this is the world we are living in. We need to affirm people wherever they are. Bell opined that many evangelicals can no longer be classified as conservatives because their beliefs have changed with the times. But I tell you what, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 has not changed. If you don't know what that scripture is, go look it up. We share it a lot with people. The billboard team does. By the way, the good news at the end. We like to share that too. You know what the good news was? But such were some of you. Don't forget the wonder of your salvation. <clears throat> I think we're witnessing the death of a particular subculture that doesn't work, he asserted. I think there's a very narrow, narrow, politically intertwined, culturally gettized. Now, I have to agree with him here on the politically intertwined part. Here's where the Anabaptist people, I feel, have it right. Um, politically intertwined. We get these calls all the time saying, who, who should I vote for? And uh, these are, they're assuming that Christians vote, okay? And if you vote, you're probably Republican Christians, okay? And I was talking to a caller the other day, and I told him, well, I, I just, I just, did you ever notice how Jesus handled, they tried to make him a political figure. Did you notice what Jesus did when he was tried to make him a political figure? Scripture says when they tried to make him a king, what did he do? He went and hid himself. That was what Jesus thought about politics. And so I, I, we, we just tell him we just follow Jesus' example when it comes to political things. We stay out of politics. If you try to tie Christianity and politics together, you will force the compromise. Moral majority. Christianity. Moral majority, put Ronald Reagan in for president. Republicans, yay, we've got the moral majority. The Christians put Ronald Reagan in. First divorce president. Trump, he's known as a Christian. Suppose he was put in by evangelicals. At least a lot of support. Guess what? I don't know how many times he was, three times? Divorced, remarried? Whoops, four, four marriages, four. We're compromising. You can't, you can't tie politics and Christianity together. It, be, it makes big problems. It's better to separate it. Then you can teach the truth without feeling like you need to support. <laughs> and keep your mouth shut. We don't want to keep our mouth shut. We do want to be gracious, though. Leader Jane Shaw asked Bell during a discussion whether Christians can know truth for certain. I would say that the powerful revolutionary thing about Jesus' message is that he says, what do you do with the people that aren't like you? What do you do with others? What do you do with the people that are hardest to love? He replied, that's the measure of a good religion. If you can love the people who are just like you, that's kind of easy. So what Jesus does is take the question and talks about fruit. He's interested in what you actually produce. And that's a different discussion. How do we love the people in the world that are least like us? We love the people in the world by introducing them to the truth. And the truth will set them free. And when we see their house burning, we love them by telling them their house is on fire and if they don't do something, they're going to have big problems. Notice, he focuses on the failure of a culture, but not the scriptures. It isn't surprising to see him duck the question as to whether Christians can know truth for certain. If Bell, in Bell's ever-evolving world, there are no certainties, there are no ultimate truths. Instead, he speaks of a revolutionary message as, and truth is simply another culture-based teaching that will inevitably fail. What does it mean to be born again? 
To be born again means that we have repented. And the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, has come into our life and is now giving us direction. He's beginning to clean us up. He's beginning to clean us up. That's what it means to be born again. As we walk with the Spirit of God, the truth will set us free. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, not a single one, comes to God but by me. I think we'll close. For those who are struggling with raising children, remember the chief shepherd is gentle with those that have young. He's gentle. I love my God. There is no God like him. There is no other God. Our God is an amazing God. He loves us so much. He sent his own son to die for us that we can go free.